Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. I'm Dan Landrum. I'm Aaron O'Rourke. I'm Stephen Siebert. Good. We're getting more professional. Only slightly. Only slightly. Hey, let's get these ads out of the way. Folks, you need to check out Dulcimer Players News Magazine. It's been around for over 30 years. Is that right? 70. I have to do the math, isn't it? Yeah, definitely over 30. I guess it's... What is it? 70? There's controversy as to whether the first one came out in 74 or 75. We're going to so hire an attorney for that. But all you need to know 25. is it's been around when for a long time. 25 plus 15 is 30. Yes, 30 plus. You years. get a free CD with each issue. That's killer. Well, I guess it's technically not free, but let's just call it free. You get a free CD for the purchase yeah. price of the magazine. It's pretty. It's, it's certainly inexpensive. And also... <laughs> Aaron, tell us about Dulcimer School. Dulcimerschool.com. It's it's great. We just put up some some band jammer lessons. We're going to be adding more. I was actually working on shooting some video earlier today on rapid fire triplets and how to get those. Are you really? Yes. Way cool. Yeah. Well, I'm also I'm also uh, as you know, Dan, and I don't think you know S- Steve. I'm quitting coffee, and so I could only look directly <laughs> into the light for so long before the headache just took over. But as soon as I get home, I'm going to be back to editing video and posting onto dulcimerschool.com. So there you go. Putting coffee. So now we got the you ads qu- out of the way. How are you guys doing? Doing fine. You ever, uh, do you go through guilt when you listen to a podcast and you, you skip the ad? You know, I think it's considering all the places you can put advertising in a podcast. I think the very front is... I think it's a good place to stick it. I mean, we're done. We're over it. Yeah. But we're going to be talking about marketing and such things today. So maybe there's an idea that no one's thought of yet where like right in the middle of the ad. or Well, not right in the middle because people would know. You put some kind of a secret thing that everyone wants to hear. Right. And you get like a free something or, you know. If you hear the secret code and you e- you're the first to email us the secret word, you get a f- yeah, you get like a free duck slammer. I I kind of don't miss uh, commercial radio. I miss public radio sometimes, but not commercial radio because of that kind of nonsense. Huh. Silliness. Hey, speaking of public radio. Yeah, so that's one of the things we were going to maybe touch on today. Steve did a radio interview a while ago. I want to hear how that went. And Aaron and I are doing kind of what I think is the new version of radio. Tomorrow, the local newspaper does a, on at, at noon on Wednesday, they do a live show that they broadcast on Facebook Live of local artists. And we're doing that. But that's you cool. were on WPLN in Nashville. 90.3 WPLN, Nashville, Tennessee. It's a good radio station. It was pretty cool. I don't know how long Will has been doing live in Studio C, but I I know it's at least 15 years. I want to say it's 20 or more. I'm not sure. Did you do it live or did they record it? No, it was live. 1206 to 1236. <laughs> okay. And uh, <clears throat> I, I had been on there, I don't know, a month ago or so uh, to promote one of these orchestra performances with the Austin P. State Bunch. And Will said, you know, hey, why don't you come in sometime? So I got off my butt and I emailed him and said, I'd love to do that. He said, you know, they're booked for the year or whatever. But he got back with me. Can you do it next week? <laughs> oh, wow. That's an important thing to remember, by the way. When somebody tells you they can't hire you for a year or two, you want to be on the list. They might call you and need you tomorrow, you know. That's right. But um, early on, years ago, he had interviewed – the Nashville Dulcimer Quartet. Um, he had also spent time with just David Schnaufer. He had Sarah Elizabeth on there. And um, so I brought a bunch of dulcimers, and I wanted to try some different stuff. But he surprised me. He said, and I don't know how many years ago this was, but at some point WPLN decided to be strictly classical because they used to have singer-songwriters come on, and they might have some jazz and stuff. 
So he told me I'm one of the only kind of non-classical artists they've had in a long time. And I also took a dulcimer for him. And I said, I'd like to get you to play on air with me. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's a neat wow. idea. So I said, I'm going to give you a one-minute lesson off air. And if you think it goes well, I want us to just do that same thing on air. And he did great. Because the whole point of the show for me was I want to let people know you can have a little music in your life just like you can have a little bit of meditating or going for a walk or drinking enough water. You can have a little music. It was so cool to give him a lesson over live Nashville radio. Yeah, how, so how'd it go? It went really well. I watched his hands and I I tried to keep up with him. <laughs> tried to do a harmony to what he was improvising in the moment, so good for him. And um, and I talked about crazy stuff. I was on a roll. But towards the end, I had mentioned how sometimes when I get back from a dulcimer festival, I like to play a little noise music or free improv. You know, it just sounds like crazy music, electronic, whatever. Um, and I don't think maybe he didn't know exactly what I meant by noise music. So at the end of this interview that I was feeling really great about, he said, Steve, why don't you close the program with a little bit of that noise music you were talking about? <laughs> so not only did I play dulcimer on an all-classical station, but I did some free improv at the end that was a little weird. And I, Did you like bang, bang, like I'm, I'm scratching the microphone stand right now. Did you do that kind I of I started off with that sound. But I, I went ahead and made the noisy part be an intro, and then I just did some improv that was more tonal and normal. But I got to mention a lot of my friends, and it was really fun doing it. And at some point, I'm paraphrasing myself, I thought, why not? So I said, I want to challenge you Nashville producers to give me a call. <laughs> and I thought, what a strange opportunity to be in Nashville, Tennessee, and actually address the entire city, you know? So I, it was exciting. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And it'll probably be, you can probably listen to it on their website. I doubt today. We're recording this November 1st. I'd give them 24 hours. It might even be a week before it shows up. Um, and then the previous one I did a month ago or so, I think that's live right now in the archive, live in Studio C. So there's my story. It was great. Any calls? No, but I'll, live radio, 30 minutes goes by really fast. Mm -hmm. I don't even think my focus was on showing off or, or I wanted to show off like what the dulcimer can do, but I, I think I decided not to do that. And I made the whole focus be about you can have simple healing music in your life, you know, because that's when it comes down to what I do for a living, that's the best part of it. I think. Hmm. Hmm. So what are you guys, uh, what are you guys going to do? Well, I'm pondering what you just said. Yeah. I think, I think maybe what is healing to you in one instance might not be healing in another. I mean, like you, you said you get done with a festival and you want to listen to some noise music or maybe make some. That's, you're kind of doing that for healing also. Right. But I, I mean, I'm thinking of the dulcimer very different. specifically for somebody. And I even, I mentioned, I said, you know, some people had a terrible piano teacher or a parent who told them they could not sing and should never sing. And I said, the dulcimer with the fact that you get this beautiful drone, the wrong notes have been removed. You can simply make up something and it sounds pretty good, just like you did, Will. <laughs> and I said that there's people that might want some of that in their life, you know? Oh, yeah. We can get it fancy as we want. I love getting fancy. Um, I play music primarily to bring peace to myself. Secondarily, I like to have a sense of community. Third, it's probably an intellectual pursuit, you know. Fourth, I pay the bills with it. So I'm probably a little different than the people I was addressing today, but the dulcimer is what, great for In that. what way? You mean in that they're not professional musicians, or they're not—they're <clears throat> not trying to be a professional dulcimer player. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people that listen to that station are probably not professional musicians. I, I'm sure. 
Right. I mean, I know we've got plenty of professionals here in town, but I mean, that's an incredible opportunity. It's noon in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, and I get to talk live to everybody on their lunch break. Interesting. I think it's also funny how many times, like I'll, you'll call or I'll call you and and we're talking about something that just happened and I'll go, how funny, I'm doing the same thing tomorrow or it is whatever. And so like you do this thing today and we're doing this thing tomorrow. Uh, I guess, yeah, just, just coinkadinks, I guess. Uh, did you talk at all about the festival that you just came from, the Black Mountain Festival? No. And th- that's a good point because you go into that kind of thing with like 40 things you want to make sure you don't forget. And I got a lot of the stuff I wanted to say, you know. Yeah, but when you finished at the end of the interview, what was it that you went, oh, man, I didn't do that. I wanted to say that. My friend Brady Sharp, I didn't mention his last name because he performs in town, does free improv on prepared guitar. I also didn't mention the fact that I play with my mom. I thought it would be good for people to know, hey, you can play with your mom, (laughs) you know, on this instrument. And I didn't mention McSpadden. I didn't mention folk craft. You know, I I kind of felt like this is my 30 minutes to help all my buddies out, you know. Yeah. Now, you don't want to be – that's not the goal of the interview, but you can't help but think of that, you know. Yeah. Sure. It, I just think they don't go well if you try to direct. If you're If the person interviewing you is somebody who does this all the time, you can't lead them too much. And you also have to be prepared for the – did you get the stock questions of who were your musical influences and things like that? Uh, not really. I, this guy's been doing this so long. I mean, I think I probably got some of those last time. And I even said, hey, guys, go listen back to the last one I did with Will. <laughs> you know. Oh, really? But um, we did a little bit. Personally, when I hear about an artist's start, you know, when I hear about the early musical beginnings of an artist, I, I that's sometimes my favorite stuff. I personally, I, that's what I like to hear. But I, I know that it could sometimes be a little formulaic. I think it depends on whether or not the there are formulaic questions that don't necessarily line up with the reality of what got somebody or keeps somebody interested in music. And when you hear an interviewer trying to do that, that's when I think they get a little bit boring sometimes. Yeah. Hmm. I could you be know, wrong, I think, but I think yeah. I think this is a he's a different kind of cat. I think he did a, a pretty good job. Um ultimately you just want to have one good memorable moment from the interview that just feels really good. I think that's important. Yeah. All right. So here's an example. You and I have been mostly talking. Aaron's sitting next to me. And it would be great to involve Aaron in the conversation, but he hasn't chosen to do that yet. So now for me to get him involved is a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, like and, you have to some, fabricate it. You have to fabricate something, yeah. and it's Because I've done hundreds and hundreds of radio interviews back when I used to do the NPR thing. They aren't all good. <laughs> Sometimes you get – I mean, I'm not talking about you, Aaron. That was almost seemed like I was, though, didn't it? No, I think you're right. That was a very natural way of getting me to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Dan, I think sometimes you're, and I think it's good sometimes, but you're definitely leading us in the conversation. One way, one technique you could try is to, let's do a podcast where you don't say anything for the first five minutes, and then on the next podcast, I won't say anything for the first five minutes. That's maybe a bit formulaic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Formulas, you know, they in chemistry, they're very important. Yeah. Well, that's so one of the main rules I remember from from the broadcasting days is that you need to find a way every day to creatively break format. And and but I also remember a buddy of mine, he was so anti-cliché. And then I had another buddy of mine and he would always remind me, hey, some of these things are a cliche because they, they work or they're important or there's something yeah, good true. about them. So I, I try to go 50-50 on that. 
<laughs> yeah, so if whoever's at the time was the publisher of Dulcimer Players News said, "Well, we're not going to uh we're not going to have any more articles in here on uh playing a a do re mi fa sol la ti scale <laughs> or on boil them cabbage down or the water is wide." Yeah, those things aren't cliché. They're just kind of fundamentals of of doing the thing. And on and on hammer dulcimer, what's a shed pattern? You know, what are the boxes that you play in? Yeah. So, pulling Aaron into this thing just a bit, and and moving on to the subject of tomorrow. So we're gonna do this. We've got I don't know thirty minutes. Okay. Twenty minutes to thirty minutes if we're interesting <laughs> for this show tomorrow, and. This will be, in a way, an introduction of you to the Chattanooga market. Because I think most of the people who watch this are, uh, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that they're people kind of like us. They're interested in the local music scene and that kind of thing. So mm. what kind of message would you want to convey? I'm cool. I, I'm I'm normally more exciting. I just stopped drinking caffeine, and I'm having a, a rough go of it right now. Um no, I don't want to convey that. No, 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 not not at all. Not even a little bit. I don't know. I don't. This is really interesting because everywhere I've lived in in the last few years, um, I haven't really had much of a connection to the local music scene hmm. or the local community. Whenever I've been in town, I've mostly been recovering, and kind of in hibernation mode and working on the next project or something, getting ready to go out on the road. Hmm. Living in Chattanooga or in the Chattanooga area, being that it's uh, that it's so much more central um, and I don't have to spend a day driving just to get to a gig. It's just a, there's a lot more there and back. I find I'm in town a lot more. That's good. Even during the busy season. And so I'm kind of excited about yeah. actually feeling like part of a community. Yeah. Last night was Halloween, and we'll get yeah. back to the radio interview. We we live in just a nice place. Yeah. Here at Signal Mountain. How many kids would you guess were on the streets? Oh, gosh. I don't know. It was very festive. I mean, you there might were... have been close to saying... In the thousands, yeah, range. When yeah. I was, yeah, just a block away from from here, when I was walking down the street, it was near shoulder to shoulder, Batman, princess, and <laughs> the occasional uh, donut costume. Yeah, you oddly said you enough. saw two donuts. Yeah, I saw a couple donuts. We saw they a jellyfish really... last night. A girl was a jellyfish. It was great, Steve. Little kid had a uh, clear umbrella, and had streamers and things hanging off of it, and she was wearing white with. I don't know, it might have been just toilet paper or something all coming off of it, but it's very fl- it had lights all up inside that. It was very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of young families on Signal Mountain. Yeah, it's so anyway, anyway, back to uh so back to the interview for tomorrow. What Steve said about producers calling him, what's the thing that we want locally? And you and I are still working. I don't oh, feel yeah. like we're ready to unveil yet. Right. I agree. Uh, we're, we're, actually, we should probably veil more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but there's a couple of songs. There's a, two or three original pieces that, you know, I'd be sort of anxious for locals to hear, my local peeps. Are we allowed to do uh, copywritten material tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we could do that. But if you're thinking strictly from a marketing standpoint, you've got this 20 or 30 minutes. Do we want to, I mean, maybe we don't. Do we want to try to get Christmas gigs? I like that idea, although I'm going to be uh, in Portland, Oregon for a Oh, that's right. We've already chunk. had to turn down yeah. some Christmas gigs, so that's not going to work. Yeah, but yeah. Dan, I mean, I... I just got the calendar out yesterday. I put it on the wall, and I put X's through all the days that a dulcimer player is probably not going to get work. You know, it starts a week before Thanksgiving, and then you get a, you get some work you can do after Thanksgiving. But 
Unless you're doing Christmas gigs, you're not going to be doing a lot of dulcimer gig stuff. You know, the week before Christmas all the way up until New Year's Eve. Right. So when do the Christmas gigs usually start? Thanksgiving here. If, oh. uh I said no more than I should have over the last couple of years, and I think that hurt me. And and I've actually said no a little bit this year, but I got a, another call today for something you okay. know, that I'll, I'll probably do. Cool. But, uh, yeah, because of the tourism-oriented thing, you know, it's always a balance. You can always find some place that will want you to play Christmas music, especially if mm-hmm. you play Hammered Dulcimer. Right. Uh, but you have to decide how much do you – this is so, so businessy, but how much do you need to get paid in order to be able to do it? I see. And somebody could go – I mean, it's the thing. You could probably be booked somewhere and make some money just about every day between Thanksgiving – and Christmas and make a decent amount of money. And even the week after Christmas, because some of the tourist things are really looking for people from December 26th through New Year's. Okay. And so those gigs are all there and they can't get church choirs and school choirs because they're all out of session by then. Hmm. And so they have to pony up and pay a little bit and probably wouldn't. I mean, but my point is if you could get, let's say there's realistically, 30 solid gigs that you could get in there. Is it smarter to hang out, to hold back for the four gigs that would pay you $500 or to take 30 that will guaranteed pay you 125? Uh definitely the four. <laughs> yeah, cuz I think you having done this a lot, you're just so burned out on Christmas music by by Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, you want to kind of do anything but Hey, excuse me. Can you stay on the mic, Dan? Just every time yeah. you turn to look at Aaron, it, the level goes down. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. What were you going to say, Aaron? There could be an argument made for doing all those gigs that only pay $100, depending on how long you're you're playing. I think sometimes having that kind of forced regularity can be really great for your playing if you're not doing that already. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm assuming that those are mostly going to be background noise gigs. Well, right? not necessarily. I mean, if you're playing at some place like Rock City, yeah, they're absolutely not background. Oh, really? Yeah, no. You've so got you a, have a, a listening room. You have an audience, yeah, and you you turn the audience over, you know, as often as you can. In oh, particular, but, if you're trying to sell product, but they're passing through. Right? Is it kind of like busking? No, nope, not at all. Okay. Uh, a gig like Rock City is there's a stage area. Oh, okay. And they're coming in and they're sitting at benches. And, you know, every now and then you, you get the crowd. It's odd. If it's a if it's a not very pleasant night to be out and, you know, there aren't very many people there, it's harder than if the place is really packed. And I'd rather go into a gig like that knowing that, okay, I've probably got to do seven or five to eight shows tonight. Okay. To where I even repeat the same things into a shorter set, but say the funny stuff and get kids up on stage and get them all participating. That's, even though that's, you're actually working more, it's a lot harder when you've got that three hour gig and there might be seven people here now. And, you know, it's, that's, that becomes tough and you never know what you're going to get. I mean, the thing about this Christmas work, you really, I'm not going to get a lot of work from Thanksgiving to New Year's Eve. But are you trying to? No, but I have an idea. (laughs) Like if you called the Hard Rock Cafe downtown Nashville and you said, hey, I'm a local musician. I play all over the world. Uh, I'm willing to do this for $50 a night if you pay me for 20 nights. Well, it's, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> no, I mean, if I called, let's say I called 40 different places and I got five, which turned into 10 next year, which turned into 15 next year. But you also have to take into account, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And if you call a place and say I'm a local musician, you know, I think you're going to get a lot of no's. But I certainly, here's, I could be wrong about that, but I think what I want to try is I want to contact Every time I've been to the dentist or doctor or anybody like that in the last couple years, 
and I've done this consistently. I'll, I'll say stuff like, hey, you guys have a Christmas party? I'd love to play for your Christmas mm. party. But that's all I said. And they were like, that'd be great. I should call them back now. And I should, even if it's for free. But imagine if I just did as many Christmas gigs as I could. And then when you get that call back next year, hopefully, you know, you 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 want to do it for pay. But I could even do it now for pay. I could say, hey, I you know, I don't know how to go about that. But I I need to have some Christmas work. And I right now do you, not. So what if you called the doctor or when you're in the doctor's office and you, you said, hey, for two weeks leading up to Christmas, what's your busiest time of the day when you've got the most people in your waiting room? What if there was somebody in there playing Christmas music live for them? I can't wait to contract all of those <laughs> illnesses. <laughs> you could you contract the business and contract the diseases at the same time. But like an accounting know. firm, a tax a place, doctors, dentists, attorney offices. Did I say that already? <laughs> um, they they all have Christmas parties, right? Yeah, I've done a bunch of those. I think I had the most of those kinds of things back when I used to be a member of the Chattanooga Convention and Visitors Bureau. That was a that was a good investment. I mean, and don't forget about Concert Window, where we can perform live online. That's been pretty lucrative for me this last few years, couple years, I guess. But I haven't noticed, you know, it seemed like everyone was doing them there for a while. But it seems like it's slowed down just a little bit right now. Maybe it's because we've been in a little bit of festival season, too. Yeah. Yeah, but also, I think I purposely tried to do a little too many because I wanted to see what would happen. If you did too many? Yeah. Because everybody, you know, when I, when I tell somebody I'm doing live online concerts, like the first thing everybody says as far as another performer, they always say, well, you don't want to do too many of those. And I thought to myself, is that really true? I don't want to do too many of those? What's the conclusion? Um, I made a little less money by doing more but not enough less to not do a lot of concerts online. And and the best part of it, the re, the main reason I really did online performing, uh, I've talked about this before, so often at a festival we get these short sets, and I want to be honing my one-hour set. And the best way to do that is if I performed an hour online every two weeks all year, it's going to put pressure on you to come up with new material and craft your your presentation, and that's been the best part of it. Like one day, See? I felt the pressure, like, man, I can't just get on here and do all the same stuff. So one day I said, hey, I'm going to introduce you to my dulcimer collection. You know, it, it gets me thinking outside the festival box. So did it help you come up with some new stuff? Yeah, I just, you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> Like in Black Mountain, I had three new things I thought I wanted to do. And when I was up on stage, it didn't occur to me once to do those three things. Ah. Uh, but it puts it in your face that you're playing a lot of the same stuff over and over. And um, honestly, I can come up with new music pretty quick. I just rarely think to do that. So... Mm-hmm. But I'd like to do, and I think you can do online workshops in November and December. Um, I think there's, but if you call a club and you say, hey, can we get together two weeks before Christmas, they're generally not real receptive to that. A lot of clubs even take off a break. You know, they have like a break period. What if you were traveling and doing Christmas concerts at clubs? I don't know about clubs, but um, but I know that uh, I've known a number of musicians that have gone the route of doing the Celtic Christmas concert tour. Oh, that's true. Yeah. At small theaters and stuff like that. And 
it sounds like that's been pretty worthwhile and fun for them. So I mean, you certainly want to come up with something in time for Thanksgiving purchases. You know, there's people shopping yeah. for Christmas gifts. Well, that's why we timed Dulcimer Players News Magazine, the fall issue. It really ought to be called the Thanksgiving issue because the idea is to get the thing to come out either, like preferably right at Thanksgiving. So you've got this sitting around and people have their CDs and they're thinking about dulcimer purchases and buying for other people and those kinds of things. I mean, I have four new books where the music is is 99% done. I have to go back through... I've got about 120 arrangements out of four books, and I got to go through there and just clean them up. And I need a table of contents, an introductory page, a cover. Um, if I can get this stuff done in time for Thanksgiving, you know, the sales from that will hopefully get me over the hump into December, you know, out of December. And also, the funny thing is, December's the worst time of year for me financially. But right at the end of December, I want to come up with these awesome gifts for all the people I love, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start giving Christmas gifts and birthday gifts, you know, right in the middle of the summer. I think that's better for me. All right. So, Steve, you just did a radio interview today. We're doing one tomorrow. Give us advice. What should we think about going in? How do we make this so the people listening are like, yeah, good stuff. I'm interested. I, one thing I thought to myself is I have to trust that I can go in there and not sound like a total idiot. And I have to trust my musicianship that it'll be interesting because I didn't know what I was going to play. I don't like to think about that. Maybe I should more. But um, at this point, after having done this professionally for 25 years, I just want to go in there and trust that it's I want to go in there and have fun. I don't want to think about it too much. Um, if there's a sound guy, you want to make friends with that guy first. <laughs> if there's not a sound guy, eat the mic, uh, get, you know, this guy, man, he put up a stereo ribbon mic. Really? Uh, I forget the name, but you would know the name. Uh, and then right behind it, he had two Sheps that are about $3,500 a, a, a piece. Buyer dynamic. Was it a buyer or something like that? No. Started with an R. Huh. Um, shoot, but Sorry. the Sheps thirty five hundred bucks a piece. So he's got his. Plus he had um he had a little condenser actually, but he, f this is a studio quality room where I went. So there was about three feet between the mics and me, and then for my vocal about a foot and a half, a foot maybe. So that was a different thing. Usually going to a radio station, they're gonna stick a mic right on you dynamic you yeah. know right right in front of you re 100 for the voice that's the one but um yeah in a, in a great room you could do that kind of thing we won't be in a great room tomorrow aaron okay <laughs> we're gonna be in a newsroom oh okay yeah anybody who wants to watch us it'll be live on facebook at the chattanooga times free press i, I guess you'd have to go to their facebook page search for times free press i uh, think my main advice is that you're going to be addressing your whole town. And it this is something that might be archived. And this is not this is not just another gig. I mean, get up there and make sure you say what you want to say about what you believe in and what you love. That's all. What do you believe in and what do you love, Aaron? <laughs> well, <laughs> I believe it's never just another gig. You should do that every time. Yeah, but if I'm at a festival, I can just get up you, there and play my heart out. Heart. But I don't oh, feel thanks. like I'm making a statement to the music community. <laughs> you know? I'm well, no, I, I, I don't either, but I try. <laughs> Most times when I do a gig, I just do stupid stuff, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed your set at Black Mountain, by the way. <laughs> That's a nice follow-up. Thank you. Yeah. You did a good job. I enjoyed your set as well. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. Huh. You don't believe me? I mean, I'm sensing some doubt on both of your parts. Oh, <laughs> I'm not saying I was in the 
the room for your whole set. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I was a little skeptical. (laughs) I I saw you walk out. Yeah, but the door was open on the side. And I was standing out there with Aaron and Amber. And we were listening to you. And and, uh, I liked what you did with Sarah. That was cool. Well, she had the, the hard part. So that worked really well. What song did you guys do? I was on the road. By we then. did two. We did. Um, oh, what did we do uh, on my set? We did um, uh, make me a pallet and um, and singing in the rain. Oh, with, good. Uh, yeah, that with w- that was great. Yeah, that was really she, good. It, wow, love, yeah. love her voice. So on on my set we did her arrangements on her set we did my arrangement Isn't of funny? uh of, but she sang um uh jubilee the gene ritchie yeah song. well she's such a confident yeah. and competent musician she's such a good with. singer i've my whole life i've heard people say so and so is a good singer but i i know down deep she is a she is a great singer as i was driving home i was trying to figure out a way because we're all going to be together again, I think, at Kentucky Music Winter Weekend. Mm-hmm. I'd like to find something that Sarah and Aaron May could sing together. I mean, I mean Amber. Oh, is Amber yeah. going to be there as well? I think the girls are there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Or maybe a combination. It would be interesting to mix those voices. And, yeah. And I see them. Yeah. I see them. I mean, they sing more old time, traditional stuff, and Sarah does too. But she's branching out a little bit more now. So who knows? Yeah, something interesting. But it it was a great festival, and if if you guys don't mind, and maybe we'll wrap up with this. We'll see. Let's do a quick post mortem on the uh, subject of the last podcast, which was just <laughs> hilarious to participate in. I think it's and good to talk about. And how it didn't didn't actually work out. I mean, it worked out. Things always work out. But I think I it works out really well. I know you do because you got your way. No, that wasn't it. Oh, you're talking about the the whole concert thing. The whole concept oh, and see. concert thing. Yeah the the podcast worked out well. I mean, us for us being at a table and just having an iPad up on a silly little tripod. So b- uh, so. Chuck, the guy running the festival, Chuck Mosley, he had an idea that, hey, when, you know, when Dan Landrum and Steve Seaver and Aaron O'Rourke and Butcher Ross get up, Butcher Ross, <laughs> Butcher Ross, <laughs> when they get up there, I want to see them go crazy and maybe do some duets and trios. And that idea really resonated with Dan. And um, I was going to do a, uh, I was going to perform with a guitarist friend of mine and I canceled that. I still feel like, I love you first. Let me start this because it's going to be mildly contentious. You're being a little passive aggressive with that thing, and you might have been considering canceling. A little bit. No, I wasn't considering at all. No way. No way. And yeah. No, but but I love the opportunity to use what was true and real in a passive aggressive way. That was great. (laughs) That's and that's actually that's good argumentation. Yeah. But Uh, but then, um, you know. I I think you you have a concern that we should build a really great show that builds. And certainly I've seen that happen where it's awesome. And I I think people love to see us as duets and, and especially as duets. I think people really enjoy that. But but I also think that when we think about how a show goes and how interesting it is, we're often often perceiving it you know, from our perspective, where we hear each other all the time, all the time, all the time. And there's a chance that some of these people do want to see Aaron solo. I think I think you're backfilling right now a little bit. Is that and like backwash? What is that? No, that's when you something happens or you decide the way something happened and you backfill it with facts. No. That's, Wait, let me, uh, let go, me, okay, let me say ahead, this, and then you can continue. I think I do the exact same thing, and I think I was doing that, and I would like to apologize for trying to be controlling of that situation. 
uh, because I shouldn't be, and I should have not been passive aggressive also in trying to get it to work out once I realized that it probably wasn't going to work out. I should have given up really quickly. Treat this like a marriage. Lose and lose fast. Yeah, but (laughs) when we were in the middle of all that, I kept saying to myself, Dan is right, and if we put the work in, this could be fantastic. I, I really mean that. But but you seem to be biased against the idea of us. I mean, I loved what Aaron put together for his set. My set may have been the great disappointment of the night, but personally, I, don't think so. I had a blast up there. And um, I don't really know how that audience perceives us. But um, I I but my point is that's not what we were arguing what we was our arguing, argument we were ar- we were arguing our sides and our positions and you and i tend to do that too much i just wanted you to leave me alone but i knew yeah. that that was a part of me <laughs> that's a part of me that's not good you know yeah and i was probably doing the same thing to you <laughs> well, i don't know um now I would like for us to get past that so we can put some killer shows together where we all collaborate. You know what I don't like? I don't like anything more than a duet, usually. Wait, um, I, are you talking about listening or playing? I, when I go to watch a performance of live music, personally, my preference tends to be I would like to see some solo work and I want to see some duet work. Because then I really know what somebody's got going on. And the more people that are up there, it, I just start to lose a little bit of something. Now, the Punch Brothers, I'm not, I wouldn't say that about them. But if I see Aaron O'Rourke get up there with Dan Landrum, I'm going to see something interesting, you know. But if I see you two up there with three or four other people, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad or I don't ever like it i just prefer my favorite thing early on when i would hear about a great musician i would always look for a solo live recording um dwight diller's got one called just banjo it's not live but it is solo and you've got leo kotke did a live soul album one of my favorite ever when i listen to other leo kotke albums i don't really like them all that much i mean i do uh mr kotke (laughs) but Compared to that live one, um, when I hear world musicians, I always like to hear them solo. I want to, that's a personal preference. It may not be true for everybody, you know? Okay, so two things. One, that's hilarious that you think there's a chance that Leo Kotke might be listening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But two, uh, I, I also like to hear solos duos and even trios but i also think that there are some musicians where you don't hear what they have going on to use your words unless you hear them in a group take john doyle for example who has several solo albums out that's Um, true but if you look at his work with solace or any or any of the other irish groups and albums he's worked on he he, he's much more impactful in that setting Hmm. In but, my opinion. But I wouldn't say that about you or Dan, you know. Really? No, I don't think you, Aaron, are more interesting in a group. I love I, to I, see what you do in a group, though. I do. But me, can, I love to see Aaron do his thing. I love that. So you want to define my thing for me? If Dan would let me. But I think right now he's trying to passively, aggressively no, no, direct no. No, the, uh, the, the conversation. No, I just I I do have a, a larger point, but I want to hear Aaron's thing. Well, no, I just asked the question. Do you want to define my thing for me? I think he meant that. Yeah, your thing for me, there it's many facets here. One of them is what has Aaron been doing lately at home, and and what's going to come out different on stage than the last few times I saw him. What techniques? is he exploring that are now ready for prime time that might inspire me? Did he write something? What's it like? 
did he cover something and what's his take on it? That's thinking about you, though, Steve, not the audience. And I also love the way Aaron changes. He had a command of the microphone as far as talking in Black Mountain that I think was kind of, for me, the pinnacle of all the times I've heard him talk. He just had a a really um, confident, comfortable way of speaking to the audience. And, yes, I know I can't speak as if I'm anybody other than myself, but... um, I mean that's that's the stuff I that's the kind of stuff I think about. Hmm. Anything to add to that, Aaron? Um. No. <laughs> that's well, awesome. <laughs> did he answer your question though? Um. I don't know. Okay. Not in the way that I intended it. What was your question? But I don't think that it was skirting or i don't think you were trying to dodge the question yeah (laughs) no but you said what i don't want to sound accusatory but we're talking about what is your thing right Mm -hmm. yeah the whole way you every what are you talking about well this is tough because we're doing we do this live podcast where we all kind of know each other well and we also we know strengths and we know weaknesses and no one wants to beat anybody up here so i think we're careful you know then maybe <laughs> i'm maybe not i'm never careful with be. you guys my feelings don't get hurt i don't have any feelings <laughs> whatever <laughs> aaron is a little bit like a savant with a high social intelligence really yeah just well, call him an idiot savant no i purposely left that out i'm gonna use that for you in a minute just give me a minute <laughs> just give me the savant part which isn't yeah but all right, dude. But what, what's the point? The, my point or Aaron's point? Go. Ahead. I don't know. I guess Dan's point at this point. No, <laughs> I don't think we fit. I don't. I think Aaron is yeah. still grieving. No, I mean, there's. A, I think a few points to explore with this whole thing. Um, <laughs> Go for about it. About the concert and the how we arranged the concert, whether we were just going to do something solo or put something together, or how we were going to overlap. And here's an honest truth that we've discussed before on the podcast and I don't want to beat a dead horse but there is a certain element with these festivals that we teach at quite a bit whenever we have to perform for me after I'm done teaching classes for the day I have a really limited amount of energy that's right to practice amen totally wiped and I would love on a totally selfish level i would love to spend some more time arranging and putting together a better show but i also don't think in that setting that's what a lot of the participants are paying for oh really in terms of prioritization what they want to get out of it i could be totally wrong i would love to find out that i'm wrong i would i will also say at this festival that we just came from i thought there were some there were some really great things having to do with exactly that and that we got our own set. There were not a lot of yeah. extracurriculars. You could hang out by the fire in front of the building, drinking hot chocolate and talk about your set. Oh yeah. But Chuck actually be, left some space. That was great. Yeah. And that Yay, was, Chuck. that was awesome for me. Another thing at play was that I had, I was doing a concert, a two forty-five minute set uh, concert with Sarah Morgan on Saturday that I needed to practice for. And so a lot of the practice time that I did have was, well, I prioritized practicing with Sarah because we had this concert that we were about to do. Um, so I guess that's that's my thing. I mean, we ended up, originally when Dan had the idea to do a coordinated group effort. Chuck. Who did I say? Dan. Okay. We were just kind of... It was Chuck's... Butch, yes, that's right. Butch uh, and I were going off of what Chuck suggested. Right, which happened to yeah. be what you would want to do anyway, which is great. Yeah. But yeah. I think so I probably embellished it. I th- my original thought when all that soup was being cooked was a combination of all these ideas would probably be a good idea, and I think that's kind of what ended up happening. I think you're right. That is kind of what ended mm-hmm. up happening. Uh, 
And my mom, man, when she heard us talking about all this and arguing, she was like, you guys are all being mean to each other. <laughs> and I was like, these are my best friends, mom. This is kind of how we roll. <laughs> but I, I probably got too upset because... I'm going through a period of my life right now where I'm a little bit angry about some things in my life that haven't turned out like I thought. Yeah, but you've been on your period for as long as I've known you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's only been like five, six, seven years, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm not talking about the circumstances in your life. We all get a little weird just before we perform oh there's that and we're and we're under the pressure of it it changes all that and i think when i accused you of backfilling a little while ago a part of that i I still kind of hold as true i remember at some point thinking all right i just need to totally drop this i remember your face when you felt that (laughs) it's just too much work it's not just work to try to sell the idea it's going to be too much work trying to pull everybody together if they don't really, really want to do it. And maybe, falsely, I'm thinking that it's important for our community, the Dulcimer community, to step up its game and not feel like we can just do anything at these festivals because people like us. I'd like to see us, not that we want to step out of these communities, but I'd like for there to be that producer that you want to have call you, Steve, you know, happen to come to one of these festivals and go, man, I had no idea. And yeah, I don't think, I think we're doing right. that much. So that's that's my bigger point that maybe, and maybe I don't even have the chops to pull it off myself, but I just feel like if we're kind of working towards that, we can we can get better and better at it. But I agree with what you guys said completely. It's exhausting and you're tired and you need a break. And Yeah. And, and it's I think good. all three of us all three of us actually really enjoy teaching. Yeah, oh yeah. It's, it's not that's not the issue. <laughs> no. At all. But when when all that was going on, Dan, and this is the truth, you bugbear. I was thinking <laughs> Did you just call me a bugbear? Yes. I don't know what it is though. I hope it's nothing dirty. <laughs> um I hope it's not fuzzy. I I kept saying to myself, Steve, and, and please, no self-deprecating remarks, Dan. I kept thinking to myself, Dan's a hard worker. He's driven uh, to search for excellence. So is Aaron. And if you got any brains in you, you'll have a good attitude and get on board with this. I was really thinking that. Hmm. I can self-deprecate inside if I'd like. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And truthfully, I should... I mean, this radio show today, I didn't think once about what I was going to play, except that, you know, we scanned the last show real quick so I wouldn't do the same ones again. Yeah. But I, a big part of performing for me is getting up there and just seeing what happens. But I know my show is always better when I put a little thought into it ahead of time or I work on a new thing. And I certainly, Dan, I could be coming to you and saying, hey, I got this idea and I I just... You well, well, that's the thing. So like Aaron mentioned to me when when he was mildly on board. And I don't think he was ever all that much on board with my idea, if I remember. Oh, I was actually, and I, I mean this... Absolutely, I was totally willing to go in whatever direction. Everyone <laughs> to say, to actually, go. I mean this fully. I thought it was the stupidest, stupidest thing I ever thing. heard. <laughs> it's one of the worst ideas I'd ever heard. ever heard. Yeah, yeah. and you were yeah. just being a total jerk. <laughs> no, but I I heard Aaron mention when we were talking about it that there is the element of getting people on stage and they're really listening to each other when you do that because it's not as polished. And I do think we're surrounded by really cool musicians that anyway, I'll stop I'll stop beating that dead horse now. And I I think that this is funny because if this was a sports show, you know, I, 
I'd be like, Dan, when you went for that touchdown, I was concerned <laughs> about the, the path you chose, but half of me knew it was the right choice. You know, I feel like, do you think we're a little, it's funny all this introspective crap we go through. Well, and then we had a great sound guy. Caleb was fantastic. That's professional that Chuck brought in from Nashville. Mm -hmm. But as Aaron and I started our set, I had already decided that, okay, we're trying to cram these things in here. We want to do them. I'm not going to speak. I didn't even think about speaking. We were both exhausted. I was kind of tired of the ongoing push and pull of who's going to do what. There have been some other things. And so I was just like, I'll be fine. I like to play music. I'm going to play music and, and have it be fun. And then we got up and got ready, and something broke. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Was, was the sound off or something or what? What was, no, it was that? It was a cable. It was a cable. Bad cable. Yeah. Yeah. Now a consummate professional that would would just roll with that, you know. So I could have done a better job. I should have taken that more seriously. Yeah. Well, it was a great week. You know, the mm-hmm. the leaves had. Really, a lot of the leaves were changing while we were there, right? It's beautiful. Right. Yeah. yeah. The weather was just gorgeous. I don't, I don't know what the temperature was, but I, I never thought about the temperature. That's how nice it was. It was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. And I it liked hanging weather. out with everybody. Yeah. I got to hang out a little more than usual. Um, hey, I think... I loved it. I think this festival has so much potential. Absolutely. It's it's really cool, and hopefully he'll have more. Aaron and well, I... He's, yeah, he's doing it again next year, October uh, 22nd through the 26th yeah. or 7th, I think. Yeah. You and I Check those taught dates, a class listeners. together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Aaron and I taught a class together for the first time that we've got. Oh, that's cool. I, I mean, I, I got really cool feedback on that. Yeah. From Mountain Dulcimer players. You know, saying and the Hammer Dulcimer players saying it was like one of the more fun classes they've ever had. My so favorite a class was a four string equidistant. And over the years, every once in a while, I teach one of those. You don't get a lot of people showing up for them, but I went through my hard drives and I. What's interesting is so many, so much of the paper I give people, it's really minimal information, and I teach them how to improvise with that minimal data. But all this four-string stuff I've done over the years, I specifically sat down and arranged on paper all kinds of things that make great use of that extra string. So along with the class, I mean, I'm teaching these challenging arrangements, but for me, I felt like I actually took a class in four-string and I was the teacher. It was kind of interesting. I I love that Chuck... um, I told him we may not get a lot of numbers for this particular one, but he was okay with that. I thought that was great. <clears throat> That's a risky thing, man. That's hard. So you know how you, you talked about the chance to speak to, to all of Nashville. I guess right now I'm thinking about speaking to all potential festival directors who might hire me, and I'd be interested in hearing the same thing from you guys. So I'm not a, a good jam director for the traditional jam stuff. But I came up with this idea after that because I was feeling guilty about it. What I do really well is put together a groovy jam where people come and you know you're not going to play trad tunes. Matter of fact, you it's mean, fun. What you do is fun. It is fun. And every time we've done it, people have had a good time. So my new mantra when I'm speaking to a festival director about a festival is I want to have a groovy jam every night for people who don't want to go and play a bunch of tunes, who want to go and learn how to improvise over chord changes. I mean, we might play some tunes, but it's not going to be based in that. We're going to build stuff and play music together and create something new. Yeah, I love having different kinds of jams. And I think we got into that later in the week. We actually had a slow jam one night. Um, there's different ways to jam. There's People have different interests, different strengths, and... Um, you know, I, I love all the tunes that we play, like Soldier's Joy, Old Joe Clark, but lately, as, as much as I love to do, definitely do some of that at a festival, I need more than that, including a slow jam. I actually enjoy going to the slow jam, you know? I, yeah. I think that Old Joe Clark, Soldier's Joy need not be the 
primary jam mode we get in. It just should be one of them. Aaron, what do you want? <clears throat> I like... Well, I'm I'm absolutely on board with what you said. I think that that's a great idea. Would you enjoy that? I think so. Okay. Probably not every night. Um, no, maybe not. Yeah. Um, and just, I guess, showing my own biases, and I'm not really, I'm not proud of this at all, but with the the traditional jams that go on, selfishly, I would enjoy them more if I if I could show up with my bass dulcimer or the rhythm guitar and I could be the only one playing chords very selfishly because hmm. I've spent more time at Irish sessions than I have at any old time jam or any dulcimer jam doing yeah. exactly that. And that's what I enjoyed uh, or what, what I have enjoyed in a jam setting. Yeah. Because you're playing acoustic guitar. Right. And, and, if you're the only one, you can try out different chords each time through the tune. But yeah. if if there's three acoustic guitars, sometimes it feels like factory work a little bit. Right. I mean, it's great to act as a servant to the jam, to provide the bass, to provide, you know. I think you're I, always a servant to the jam. Yeah, but I mean, every once in a while, I think, you know, that bass player just walked away. I could play bass for three or four tunes. and Sure. It really helps everybody in the room stay together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My, my biggest problem lately is I can't, I've never been able to hear myself in a jam hardly at all. So I'm sitting really? there hearing what I'm playing in my head for two or three hours. Um, I love a big jam sometimes, but I also love a little one, you know? And if it's a mountain dulcimer festival where, I mean, this one was mountain and hammered. Mm-hmm. But if if eighty percent of the room are mountain dulcimers and we can't hear any of the mountain dulcimers, you know that kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> I think Dan, you ought to do that. I think what you bring to the kind of jam you like to do that you're good at that other people have fun doing, it's needed. It's it's important. It's an important element. All this, and for every person that loves being in the old Joe Clark jam. I know there's people that say, man, I'd rather sing or I'd rather make up stuff, you know? So, yeah, we just uh, need, we need to push for more variety. That's, that's easy enough to do. You just, you stand up at a meal and you say, Hey, tonight over in such and such a room, we're going to, you know, we're going to do a blues jam. Yeah. Easy enough. And it requires a different level of participation. I think also it's because everyone can participate. Uh, because generally everyone starts out at the, at the same place, and that's back to the class that we taught together, Aaron. That was that's one of the things I liked about that is I yeah. think people had to really and we had to be engaged because we were constantly like, okay, how can we make this work together? Mm-hmm. I also uh, well, think it's funny that a lot um, some people don't like talking at a jam when they end a song, they want to go right into the next one, and I appreciate that. I think that's an important perspective, but for me. I love to talk just a little bit between each song, take a little break. This is my family, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, for the tunes-based jams, how do you guys feel when there's a list that goes out that these are the songs we're going to play in this jam? What do you think about that? I'm not morally opposed to it, <laughs> really. Um, I... Uh, I think for some people that might be an opportunity to see a title look it up and ex- that they don't know already and expand their repertoire some of the i know i mentioned irish sessions earlier as being what my comfort zone was for a while and there were some sessions that really it, it was just the same sets I mean, predictably you know every time that session got together i really enjoyed the ones where the session host would would send out an email and go to the regulars and just say hey guys i I just stumbled across this tune. It would be really fun to try and uh, get it into rotation. And they would do that once a month. And I 
feel like I got a lot out of that. And yeah, was, that's fun. It was fun for everyone. It's yeah. the squirrel's nest up at Everett has been. Oh, doing that's that. great. Those guys have been working that kind of thing, and it's good. Their jams are, are a lot of fun. They they have an ever growing repertoire, and they even have a whole mm-hmm. system. Like I think that squirrel's nest is kind of after. It's similar to what goes on with Dave Fires. What's his name out at um, Dave oh, Fires? Firestein at Winfield Uh, yeah Dave I'm sorry dude (laughs) but he lives in um, Arizona Uh, but out at Winfield what's that group called out there but they put out a book right yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. carp camp carp camp camp. yes (laughs) (laughs) I was just speaking in general terms (laughs) (laughs) oh you mean that fish yeah they put out they have an updated book every year with the old classics plus new ones and it's like here's your homework this year for okay, so now jam. we're talking. Why don't Why don't we start? Could Could we foster that kind of see? I'm no, talking I, about organizing on, it's a, again. It's okay to be a leader. Hmm. Except at times when you don't want to be. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. Yeah. Hey, boys. I gotta go vote, people. I'm early Good. voting today. Good for you. I did mine already. Uh, that's. Uh, that's the Dulcimer Geek Podcast for today. I hope you found it profound and interesting. And you will like us on Facebook. Say Facebook. Validate us in life. Hey, that's a little too much. <laughs> <laughs>